Hello, and welcome to How to Be Fine. I'm Kristen Meinzer. And I'm Jolenta Greenberg. And today, we're here with a feedback episode. That's right. Every third week, we share some of the stories you, our listeners, have shared with us about the topics we've most recently covered on the show. Because a lot of you write in, and a lot of you have really great things to say. Those great things include some fantastic additional advice for our advice seekers. But Jolenta, shall we start off with talking about buy nothing? And let's start with hearing from people who love their local buy nothing groups. Uh, Here's a letter from Misty. Misty says, I love my buy nothing group. I've been a member since 2013. I love being able to purge my children's clothing or household items by putting them on my porch for someone to pick up and lovingly use. Just today, I saw an ottoman offered that I gifted after obtaining it from this same group. I reupholstered it, used it for years, then re-gifted it after we changed our style. It's still going strong, and it's been through at least three owners. I feel so much better about gifting items rather than taking them to a thrift store. It feels less wasteful. Sarah agrees. She also loves her Buy Nothing group. She says, I'm in a Facebook Buy Nothing group that encompasses the cities east of Phoenix, so it's pretty big. I joined so I could pass on things that people might find useful rather than try to sell them. There's a time in my life that I would have been the one looking for food and basic house items, so I like being able to help other people out. That makes a lot of sense. And there's something to it, uh, like Misty mentioned, it feels so much more reassuring when you know it's going to an actual person as opposed to like dropping it off as some sort of like amorphous like drop box or drop center. And especially when you know it's going to someone who like you can identify with, like Sarah said, someone who might be food insecure and need help just getting some last basic items for their kitchen that they truly can't afford. Yeah. Some of you, though, think Jolenta that maybe you and I have the wrong take on buy nothing. No way. It's true. (laughs) Bethany says, I feel somewhat compelled here to push back on the sense I'm getting, both from the hosts and the Facebook community, that some believe rich people don't deserve to participate. The way I see it, anyone who is participating is decreasing consumption in some way, including by not running out and buying something new when someone is giving away something perfectly functional in your neighborhood. Although I can afford to buy fast fashion or a desk, being part of this group helps me be more conscientious about how I can decrease my participation in the environmental impact of manufactured goods. Bethany, I think you have some very good points to make there. Absolutely. That is valid. Yes. I mean, anything we can do to have less of an environmental impact, in my opinion, is a good thing. And Jolenta, I don't think either you or I were saying rich people shouldn't be allowed to participate But I was saying that I don't like rich people being behind this fence and poor people being across that line. Right. And only swapping that amongst themselves in either group is is sort of defeats the purpose of the buy nothing vibe. Just like be aware of like where the gerrymandering is occurring in your local buy nothing groups and make sure that you aren't like cutting off access for any certain group of people. Exactly. Mary wanted to bring up something else. She says... I'd be curious to hear you talk more about what seemed like a contradiction in your comments. At one point, you pointed out that buy nothing exists thanks to the unpaid labor of many people, citing this as problematic, 
But then you sounded pretty outraged when you talked about the founders asking for donations to cover the expenses for their new app. I wonder how you would reconcile these two things. What is the third way? Maybe just not having an app? Yes, Mary, you answered our question. Maybe not having the app. Because I was say taking donations for the app is not taking donations to like supplement the time that group moderators have have put in. It's taking time to like further develop the concept and monetize it for the creators. Yeah. Moving on, many of you wanted to address some additional issues beyond equity that we didn't even hit in our episode. Jelena, I hope I pronounced your name right. It's beautiful. It reminds me of my own. Uh, Jelena (laughs) says, literally the day before your episode dropped, I got kicked out of my neighborhood by nothing group. Something I didn't hear mentioned in the episode is the policy in the default buy nothing group rules, or at least the ones for every group I've ever seen, that people are not allowed to mention charitable causes when expressing interest in an item. So basically the way Kristen is using her buy nothing group to give stuff to people who are working in refugee aid would be against the rules in the groups I've been in. I replied to someone who posted that she was cleaning out her coat closet to say the fur coat you posted here is obviously gorgeous and way too nice to toss. But on the off chance you've got furs that are too moth eaten or worn to give to another wearer, my friend has a wildlife rescue that collects furs that would otherwise be thrown away and uses them as bedding for orphan animals. I got a very stern, condescending warning from the admin. I pushed back and now I am no longer in a buy nothing group. Oh, gosh, Jelena. Um, I'm so glad you brought this up because I, I didn't mention this in the episode, but it is something I kind of do under the radar. I kind of tiptoe around this because, yes, I have seen people publicly scolded for bringing up charities, for bringing up the places they volunteer and buy nothing. Um, we're not supposed to do that. And it really bums me out, honestly, because we have so many people who need certain items and who maybe could benefit from certain items in a way that maybe others aren't necessarily needing those items quite as much. Yeah. I feel like my Buy Nothing group sort of allows mention of charities, but only if they're local. Like if someone is like this fridge that falls like directly in our sort of boundaries is running low. So I would love to take, you know, that food you're offering to this fridge. But the like community fridges, the community yeah. fridge in our area or something or like the refugee community like that has a center directly in our neighborhood. Those things are mentioned. But then if you want to do like, oh, I work at this place in Manhattan, you can mention that. And then you have to be like, DM me if you want the info. So it becomes oh. a much more tedious process of like you have to friend the person in order to message them. But still, it can get done. But it's like a bunch of extra steps. Wow. Yeah. Another issue we didn't mention, Lisa Jane wants to draw attention to. Lisa Jane says, another issue you didn't mention is that with the Buy Nothing app, until recently, you could receive fines. Yes, there are definitely some crap members, but you can't find them. Also, the app is just the same thing as using Facebook Marketplace for free stuff, in my opinion, and it's not conducive to making friends with your neighbors. By the way, Lisa attached a screen grab with all of the rules Mm. And the corresponding fines. So if anybody wants to go to our Facebook community and see that screen grab, I was like, OMG, this is real. You can get fined for using the app wrong. Wow. 
Like, I get de-incentivizing some activity, but, like, fining in a group that at its core was all about, like, no money exchanging hands just feels very off. Yes, it does. Totally agree. We want to end this conversation about buy-nothing groups with this letter from somebody who is in not quite a buy-nothing group, but one of these new groups that have started since there's been all the controversy with buy-nothing. Meredith says, I'm in a group called Good Shit Long Beach, and I love it. It started in spring 2020, right after the pandemic started, and it exploded. The group became a real treasure trove. It even had theme days, Weird Shit Wednesday, Succulent Sundays for plants, and my favorite, Good Shit After Hours for lingerie, sexy play items, books, etc., which started at midnight with posts taken down before 6 a.m., The whole group has been such a source of wonderful experiences for me and my family. Once we gave away the very toy someone else's child had lost at an airport, the parents sent us a video of the reveal to the new recipient, and he was so happy it made me and my son cry tears of joy. What a fabulous lesson for my son. My teenage daughter did her practice driving for her license while we did pickups. It became a fun game to find items we wanted so she could practice driving. Best of all, the Facebook group started a 501c3 organization for those outside the U.S. That means a nonprofit to help the needy. The group sponsors needy families during the holidays, gives away food to those in need, offers suits and prom dresses, and so much other good shit. Well, that sounds like a great group. I'm obsessed with the after hours idea. Yeah. <laughs> I just love those themes. And also, I'm I'm wondering, like, how do you be like to give like one super cleaned like sex toy? <laughs> like, <laughs> that's right where my mind goes. But yeah, I'm there's lots of other after hours stuff to give away books, videos, anything you name it. Um, but that sounds like such a thriving group that started their own on non-for-profit, like, they must be allowed to mention charities a little bit, which sounds nice. Yeah, I love it. I mean, Buy Nothing, just to reiterate, I've gotten so much good out of Buy Nothing for my soul, for the environment, for my apartment. Buy Nothing has so many great qualities to it. But also, I totally understand why a lot of people have stepped away, and I applaud those who have come up with groups like Good Shit Long Beach, because, wow, just doing so much good in the world, so much good beyond your neighborhood. And I applaud that. All right. We are going to take a quick break. Reminder, if you want to share your stories with us, you can hit us up at kristenangelenta at gmail.com or weigh in on our Facebook group, facebook.com slash groups slash kristenangelenta. Coming up, we chew on some crunchy to anti-vax comments you all sent in. Stay with us. Hey, everyone. We are back. And now, Jolanta, chomp, chomp, chomp. What is that sound? It's the sound of crunchy anti-vax pipeline conversation. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. (laughs) Yes. All bad crunchy puns aside, turns out a lot of you have a lot to say. And I want to start with the people who have fully immersed themselves in this pipeline that were nice enough to share their stories with us. Yeah, we got a lot of letters Uh, Along these lines, let's start with Sasha. Sasha says, 
I was the epitome of the crunchy to anti-vax pipeline. My kids were born in 1996 and 1998 during the height of Wakefield autism conspiracies. I chose natural birth and later became a birth doula. I was already a vegetarian and pretty suspicious of big anything. I didn't start anti-vax. I really was a science nerd and didn't question vaccines at all. But then my baby daughter was given the wrong vaccine by a nurse who was very casual about the mistake, and that scared me so much. I had a later incident where I was given a new vaccine while unknowingly pregnant, and I was supposed to be followed for a long time by the drug manufacturers just as an opportunity to study effects on pregnant women and babies, but they never even contacted me. And I later found out I had harm OCD, which manifested primarily with concerns about the safety of my children. Add in the crunchy environment at the time, and boom, I became completely afraid of vaccines. Thankfully, in the last few years, my kind sister-in-law, who is a pharmacist, has taken the time to patiently answer my questions. And the pandemic, boy, was that a wake-up call for how very ugly the anti-vax community really is. I am a socialist and as far left as one can get, and nothing sent me running faster than the far right embracing anti-vax thinking. I knew I had to be wrong, and I was completely wrong. Please vaccinate. Please vaccinate your children. Yeah, I can totally see how worrying about harm to your children can sort of snowball into worrying about any sort of chemical you're putting into like your fresh, sweet little baby. Like that makes perfect sense how you can end up there. It's just scary when there starts turning alt-right. Yeah, very much so. Very much so. And we have to get to this next letter because it is so intriguing. I'm not even going to tell you any more about it. I'm just going to read it. Krista says... I have to admit, I somehow slipped into the crunchy to alt-right pipeline and became an unknowing leader. Yikes. It started in the mommy groups, especially from MLM marketers for essential oils. I then became a seller of essential oils because it saved me money on a very expensive product I believed I needed for my family due to frustrating medical needs. I was also a blogger right at the beginning of the mommy blogger craze that swept the nation and felt it was so important to share what I believed was the truth. So I began writing about it all. Although I never stopped vaxxing, I did question the pediatrician about it. And luckily, she sat me down and gave me the exact reason for every ingredient in the vaccine, like how the body actually naturally produces most of these things. And in order to accept the vaccine, those things are needed as carriers. Yes, including formaldehyde. Mind blown. Then it got wild. I homeschooled my kids, did all the homemade things, etc. I was in an unschooling group because they met each week for get-togethers and my kids needed the socialization. Once I mentioned an experience we had during an emergency with EMS only to wake up the next morning as the face of an Alex Jones article. I had to spend so much time debunking the lies he had put in the article and it made me so mad I turned fully against it all and got out. Thank goodness. But I am still so sad about my own participation in turning people over to the pipeline. Now, for people outside the U.S., you may not know who Alex Jones is. So just a clarifier here. He is a far-right conspiracy theorist. He sends the message out through all of his media and publications that mass school shootings are done just to try and garner hate against gun rights activists. 
It's fear mongering. Yeah. Yes. Even though literally thousands of children have died every year for many years now in mass school shootings. He has many uglier things beyond that, if, if you can believe it. There's just ugly, ugly, ugly and false, false, false that he is sending out into the world at all times. And so, oh, that's horrifying. Krista, we're so sorry. And we're glad that you're speaking of all of this in past tense now and yeah. that you're out of this. And a lot of you, just like myself, fell for the really very crunchy TikTok account. Here is one of the many, many letters we got about this. Kathleen says, I just listened to this episode and I wanted you to know that I also was taken in by Really Very Crunchy on Instagram. I came across a few of her reels and I thought it was funny how her husband always rolls his eyes at her. But then she had a video where they were playing a game about how they don't trust the government or doctors and the comments were straight up crimson flags. So I had to unfollow The whole thing makes me sad because I think a lot of us want to do the healthiest thing for our kids and the environment and whatever, but now I'd be hesitant to label myself crunchy because I wouldn't want to be associated with anti-vaxxing. I love the crimson flags. Like, they're so red. They are crimson. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, and that's how it gets you. Everything's sort of funny and teehee until there's that weird little red flag that pops up, that little dog whistle turn of phrase that makes you go like, wait, what? Yeah. Now, it's notable, Jolenta, that most of the folks who wrote into us said they entered this crunchy to anti-vax pipeline because of mothering groups or Mm -hmm. mommy blogs or online mother communities. And we did hear from a few people, though, who did want to speak out in defense of those groups saying, you know, they're not all like this. Just to be clear, they're not all like this. (laughs) Yes. And one of them was Rania. I hope I pronounced your name right, Rania. Rania says, I want to thank Jalenta for her compassion to moms and mom Facebook groups. Her understanding of how they were a lifeline for so many of us, especially during the pandemic, made me feel so seen. I'm in two parenting groups that are pro-science, and one specifically has a no-judgment rule where you can can't offer advice unless it's asked for, since often we just need to vent or are looking for support. These spaces have been absolutely amazing and have gotten me through some rough times and helped me to become a better parent, a more mindful human, and they have exposed me to people who are different than me. Mommy groups get such a bad rap, but when the community is intentional and works on being a village, it can be such a wonderful place. Rania, I am so glad you wrote in because I agree with you. I think anything related to moms can get a bad rap, whether it's online, whether it's in person. It's a tough road of judgment in our world that mothers face. And so moms needing support from other moms, hooray for that. Get that support. Right. And like, it's hard to find a village nowadays. So like, if it's online, that's awesome. There's so little actual support for mothers and parents and solid advice on parenting that isn't, you know, easily contradicted by the next advice. Like, of course, we feel lost and we turn to places like self-help or Facebook communities. So it's just a matter of really looking at the structure of the community and, and what the sort of mindset and intentionality is behind it almost. On that note, we are going to take one more quick break. But when we're back, Y'all have some great ideas for our advice seekers.
All right. We are back with some additional advice for our recent letter writers. But first, we have an update. We often get updates from our letter writers who wrote in Seeking Advice. This is our first one that's made it in in time for us to actually record it for a feedback episode. (laughs) Um, And this is from our letter writer who had been struggling with grief after losing a pet. Yes. Our letter writer said, a huge thank you to Kristen and Jolenta for their kind and supportive words today. I had a moment of complete disbelief when you read out my question related to pet loss grief. I had given a lot of thought to how best to remember my little cat who had a very big personality. Last week, I got my first tattoo and it's a watercolor of a calico cat in one of her favorite poses. Not an actual portrait, but something that reminds me of her and that I'll have with me as I move around in the world. As you said, the grief transforms but never quite goes away, but it does subside. Love that you got a tattoo, and I love that that you are starting to feel the grief, like you said, transform. It's not going to like poof, go away, but it becomes less crushing and less at the front of mind sometimes. And I love that you found a way to commemorate your pet in a way that feels good to you, authentic to you. I mean, what's going to work for one person is not necessarily going to work for another, but it sounds like you're really happy with this decision. And I have to say, there are so many great stories of how people have memorialized their pets. There are pet pictures. There are lots of pet tattoo pictures all in our Facebook groups. (laughs) It's facebook.com slash group slash Kristen and Jolenta. But now let's get to additional advice from all of you out there for our advice seekers. Uh, Several of you wrote in for the letter writer who was worried about being pressured to drink at an upcoming bachelorette party weekend. And uh, so much great advice. But here's one of our favorites from Becca. Becca says, to help my friends feel more comfortable in these situations, I usually ask them about their drink. This helps them realize I'm not judging them, and often they have a reason or a story that they can share with me. Then sometimes if I remember what their drink is, I'll order or pay for it for them. Becca, this is such a generous, kind way to put those around you at ease. It also is just, I think, really sweet when people remember your drink. Like back in the day, everybody knew who loved Jolenta. Like Jolenta likes a Prosecco. I was going to say, yeah. Yeah, it's like I can go to the bar and order a round of drinks and I know Jolenta is going to have the Prosecco. And it's just, you know, a nice touch. Even if it's non-alcoholic, it's also a nice touch. Like I always know that Dean takes a double espresso. Dean always knows that after two o'clock, I want my coffee decaffeinated. So it's just nice to remember people's drink orders. It's a, it's a thing that we can do for our loved ones that says I'm paying attention. Exactly. We also heard from someone in the catering business that gave an interesting little point. Tabby says, I loved our host suggestions for non-alcoholic solutions. My family runs a bar catering service. If you're ever at an event or a restaurant, any good bartender should have a drink mix or two up their sleeve for religious, sober, or intolerant guests. If you walk around with a fun-looking mocktail, you won't even get all the annoying questions. I mean, if Synth Hall is good enough for Whoopi Goldberg's establishment on Star Trek Enterprise, it's good enough for us Earthlings, right? Okay, Jolenta, for people who do not Mm -hmm. know the Star Trek universe, can you please explain what that means? So, Whoopi Goldberg, 
played a character named Guinan, had a bar called 10 Forward on the Star Trek Enterprise. That's from Next Generation. Um, and they have synthahol is what they serve. And it's alcohol that tastes like alcohol and you just can't get drunk off of it. Much like my phony Negroni. Right. I would say it's not very different, actually. Yeah. And it's, I think it's synthetic. So especially because you can't get drunk. So like they remove the drunkiness. So it's synthahol. Or it was made in the synthesizers. Don't quote me on that. <laughs> and yes, I agree with Tabby. Most bartenders uh, are very capable and often very excited to make a mocktail. And not just a Shirley Temple. Shirley Temples are delicious, but it's great to be able to say to a bartender, hey, I'm not drinking tonight. I would love something that is non-alcoholic. My favorite flavors are cucumber and citrus. If there's anything you can do inventive with that, I would love that. And most bartenders I know are excited to do something with that. Right. Um, let's move on from drinking to weddings. Yes. We received, what was it, Jolenta? Hundreds of responses. So many responses. So many responses. Yeah. <laughs> dozens and dozens of you wrote in with advice for our soon-to-be bride, sharing how you pulled off a bargain wedding. Um, and here are some of our favorites, all done fairly recently, all for under $4,500. Lindsay says, we did it in Glacier National Park in 2019, and it was perfect. The National Park rules were even able to rein in my mom, who was stressing me out big time over etiquette and guest list stuff. No music, no more than 20 people, no decor. The park permit was $100. The outfits were about $800. The sandwich picnic reception for $20 was about $200. The bouquet was $150. Hair and makeup was $100. The photographer was my husband's cousin, but her usual rate is around $3,000. So she was the big splurge. Yes. I, I like that you decided what the priority was for you. For some people, it really is the photography. For other people, it's the dress. And you prioritized where did you want your money to go? And you chose a spot that was perfect. In your words, perfect. I mean, the pictures are on our Facebook group. I believe I said they were the most majestic wedding photos I've ever seen. Like, it's incredible. Yeah. And choosing a spot also that is that stunning for only $100, the bargain hunter in me is so into that. That limits the guest list? Ah, oh, perfection. Yes. So into it. Anne-Marie also had a bargain wedding. She says, we had our ceremony at the local registry office and the reception at home in 2016. We looked at a wedding venue but realized for the cost of the basic option, we could pay for the entire wedding. We got our cake and buffet-style food from the UK department store chain Marks & Spencer. We ordered all the alcohol from Waitrose, another high-end store that offers great discounts on bulk orders. We bought a marquee for the back garden, which we then passed along to my colleague's daughter for her wedding. We decorated the house with homemade bunting, which we still bring out for special occasions. My friend taught me how to hand tie my own bouquet. My husband did the playlist. Yes, it was hard work, but I would not change it for the world. All for 3,000 pounds and lots of lovely memories. I love remembering the bulk order thing. Yes. That's a good point. You can go to a nicer store, but if you're like, hey, I'm getting like three cases of this for a party, like you get a discount. I also love the wedding at home. I have been to so many ceremonies that have been in apartments or backyards that have been so incredibly beautiful um, and so unique to the couple. They don't feel like you're just entering a generic wedding right. venue. They don't feel like you're just like the five o'clock slot today. 
there's something so special and personalized about having it at home. So intimate that they're like letting you into their space, basically. Yeah, yeah. I, I just find a home wedding so beautiful. And, you know, starting at the registry office, I also am a big fan of I that. Love that. I, I have been a witness at City Hall weddings, and I just love them. It's I, I so think fun. they're special. Yeah, they're so special. All right, let's move on to this letter from Sarah, who says, A friend offered to reserve us the penthouse party room in their high-rise condo building. It included bathrooms, a kitchen, tables, chairs, a bar area, and an enormous wraparound terrace with stunning city views, all for $315. My wife's mother made some of the food. The rest was buffet-style platters from the grocery store, along with bulk wine and a keg of beer. We ordered special cupcakes, $350, from a local bakery instead of a cake to avoid plating fees, and also because we love cupcakes. Our photographer friend did his work for free as a gift. I wore clothes I already owned. My wife bought a cute pink dress. We borrowed speakers from a friend and made our own playlist. In total, the wedding cost under $1,500 for 100 guests. Mind you, this was 10 years ago, so we're guessing the price would be closer to 2100 now. Uh, you're saying this as if 2100 is a lot. 2100 still is good. still a bargain, Sarah. <laughs> $315 for that like essentially great venue, and it's so true. If you live in a bigger city or a place that has sort of newer build buildings, a lot of them have these sort of penthouse like bar looking areas with like ice makers and and a kitchen and it's like oh right those are available like you can just rent those out you can block those out if you are a tenant or no a tenant yes and i've been to a couple of great events in those including a couple of weddings i've been to and my gosh, if I had a party room in my apartment, I mean, there's only five units in my apartment. We don't have a party room. <laughs> <laughs> but if I did, I'm like, why would I not get married in that? Especially when there's great views. You don't have to decorate because the view is really the decor, right? Yeah. And uh, we want to end things by getting to this letter from Lauren. Lauren just wants to put in a good word for all the wedding industry people out there. <laughs> Jalenta, you and I were not trying to rag on no, them. But no. we we. We but we did, did a little. We did. We did a little. <laughs> so Lauren says, I worked as a caterer for years, and I just want to speak about the so-called wedding tax you talked about in the episode. I think a lot of people think that vendors charge more for weddings as just a gratuitous cash grab. But in my experience, it's because the expectations on the part of clients for a wedding are much, much higher than just a regular party, which equates to more time and labor from vendors. For a regular party of equal size, say a birthday, graduation, or anniversary party, we generally wouldn't do a tasting before they chose the menu, let alone multiple tastings. Also, we wouldn't necessarily be dealing with up to four separate contact people, all of whom have different requests and expectations. I swear my business partner was 50% family therapist for every wedding we catered, and I'm lucky I only had to deal with the food, which often included multiple last-minute changes to the menu, guest count, and budget. I've also worked as a floral designer and brides screaming that they must have ivory peonies, not white, not cream, not eggshell, and out of season no less is an actual thing I've experienced. This is all to say that the preemptive increase in cost for a wedding versus a party is often vendors making sure they get adequately compensated for the additional time and labor that weddings almost always entail. Those are all very valid points, Laura, and I forgot about just sort of the emotional labor that comes with sort of 
essentially babysitting and handholding uh, a couple that's getting married often if you're if you're working in the wedding industry. And yeah, having thrown a like more traditional wedding and a more party wedding, like things were much more involved and hands on. And like I got I was pickier with the wedding wedding. You have to, you know, you have to be ready to treat it like a party if you want like party costs. People aren't going to like do the extra wedding experience without being compensated for it because like they deserve compensation. Yeah, very, very fair point. And uh, also a reminder for anybody out there who's thinking of getting married, just don't be a bridezilla. Yeah, don't yell (laughs) about peonies. That's wild. Yeah, no need to be so so much of a pain in the butt about the peonies. (laughs) So true. That's it for this episode of How to Be Fine. Huge, huge thank you to everyone who wrote in. And of course, thank you to our production team at Stitcher, our executive producer, Nora Ritchie, our producer, Chantel Holder, and our composer and engineer, Casey Holford. Reminder, you can always weigh in on the conversation and see what we're up to on Instagram. We are at How to Be Fine Pod. And if you haven't already, why don't you rate us and review us in your pod player, wherever you're listening. Just hit five stars, write a little ditty about how the show is fun, and uh, tell a friend about the show, too, if you haven't, because word of mouth is still stellar. Until next time, I'm Kristen Meinzer. And I'm Jolenta Greenberg. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. We'll see you next week. And until then, be fine. Stitcher.